This is a Kitty Pod production. Welcome to CR Crime, the only podcast that tells tales of true crime from New York's capital region. I'm your host, Jason Bullitt. First off, sorry for the lengthy delay between episodes. With that out of the way, our subject this week is an upstate born and bred man who went on to become one of the first Florida men, albeit of the more murderous variety, Gerald Stano. Gerald Stano was actually born Paul Zininger in Schenectady on September 12, 1951. His biological mother gave him up for adoption when he was all of six months old out of neglect for their newborn child, but Schenectady County officials deemed him unfit for adoption as a result. He was put into foster care along with his three other siblings and would eventually be adopted by Eugene and Norma Stano, who promptly changed his name to Gerald Eugene Stano. Having foster parents take care of a child rather than their own biological parents can be a real challenge on said child, and Stano was certainly no exception. Rumors abounded that Stano was abused by his adopted father, but there was no proof to back up that claim. Nonetheless, Stano developed animalistic tendencies, even going so far as to consume his own, shall we say, excrement, in order to survive. He even wet the bed when he was 10 years old and got into animal torture by killing a chicken in his younger days, which fulfills two-thirds of the serial killer triad. Even though his foster parents loved him like no one's business, Stano's behavioral problems continued. Going through high school, he frequently amassed C's and D's in every subject save for music. He was also a compulsive liar. On one occasion, he stole money from his father's wallet to bribe the track team to finish behind him in a foot race so he could look successful. It should be known that according to the three Radford University students, tasked with compiling this profile on Stano, the link of which we found in the show notes. He had no weight problems of which to speak, and he also had better prospects in the looks department than he got. Despite all this, the females in school made fun of him, and to add injury to insult, he was often a target for bullying. That last sentence only applied to the frequent times Stano was in school, which weren't many, and when he did, he often stole from his classmates and acted out in class. During his mid-teens, Stano was arrested for such infractions as falsely pulling a fire alarm and throwing rocks at cars from a highway bridge. All this happened after the family moved from Schenectady to Pennsylvania. So much for a change of scenery. Stano's criminal antics hampered his academic performance to the point where he was unable to graduate until he was 21 years of age. It was on to a trade school where he excelled in the field of computers, and then out of his parents' house and into his first paying job working at a local hospital. Soon afterward, he was fired for stealing his co-workers' money and quickly moved back in after doing the same gig after gig. This continued when the three moved to Ormond Beach, Florida, and also had his employment terminated for theft, tardiness, and in one incident in 1975, check forgery for which he was actually arrested. However, there was a more sinister vocation that lay ahead. As stated earlier, the females managed to poke fun at Stano for reasons unknown. 
This may have been the reason he targeted them for his crimes. It all kicked off in 1969 when, by his own admission, he murdered an equally unknown person in New Jersey. Four years later came the first noteworthy murders committed by Stano. Anne Arsenault and Janine Ligatino, both of whom were in their late teens. Kathy Lee Sharp, also of high school age, was found early the following year, while Barbara Bauer and an unidentified woman were found later that year. Towards the end of 1975, Stano followed a 24-year-old woman named Susan Bickrest back to the Derbyshire Apartments in Daytona Beach. It should be noted that Stano lived in that same apartment complex. The incident occurred in the early hours of December 20th when Stano forced her into his car at gunpoint. Bickrest was found dead a year later from both strangulation and drowning in a pond. The Volusia County Medical Examiner noted injuries to her throat and larynx, which contributed to her death, as well as facial injuries that were incurred beforehand. Almost two years later, on November 12, 1977, police in Volusia County found the body of Mary Catherine Muldoon, 23, in a drainage ditch in what Stano's appeal described as an, and I quote, isolated and very wooded area, end quote. Muldoon and Stano had engaged in conversation near a beach, but when it turned to sexual relations, Muldoon refused to give it up despite his desire for her to do so. An argument ensued and escalated into violence. Stano drove to New Smyrna Beach and pulled off of US-1, at which time Stano forced Muldoon out of the car, with him climbing out of the passenger side with a 22 automatic pistol. The reaction from which caused her to fall to the ground. Stano then shot her and drove back to Daytona Beach. Throughout the rest of the decade and early into the 1980s, more females were found murdered by Stano's hand. Linda Hamilton, age 16, whose body was found in New Smyrna Beach. Ramona Neal, age 18, who was found in Tomoka State Park. Dorothy Williams, age 17. Mary Carol Maher, 20, who was found stabbed in the chest and back in February of 1980. Diana Valak, age 18. Christine Goodson, age 17. Joan Foster, age 18. Sandra Dubose, age 34. Emily Branch, age 21. And Phoebe Winston, age 23. All of these women were either runaways, hitchhikers, or prostitutes, which makes the scattershot nature of the murders all the more sadder. In all, Stano was suspected of killing 41 women, but confessed to murdering slightly less of an amount, 33 all told. In amongst the murder spree, Stano married a 22-year-old hairdresser assumedly named Teresa Esposito on June 21, 1975. The marriage didn't last long, though, as the couple divorced exactly one year later owing to domestic abuse, going so far as to kill her dog, sorry Frank and Heidi Sakari if you're listening, and abortion. At least she was able to get away with her life, unlike his victims. Speaking of whom, Stano's spree of murdering women came to an abrupt end on March 25, 1980, when a sex worker named Donna Hensley identified him as the assailant in an assault charge. Exactly one week later, on April 1st, Stano was brought in for questioning about the incident, of which he confessed as being said assailant, as well as to the murder of Maher. A month later, on May 9th, Stano also confessed to murdering Tony Van Haddix, age 26, upon the discovery of her body. 
Sano picked up Van Hannix, another sex worker, and looked to engage in illicit sex for $30, though he had no cash on him at the time. After being quick to ask for compensation for services rendered, Stano reached under the driver's seat, pulled out a knife, and stabbed and beat her to death. Van Hannix's corpse was then removed from the car and covered with three tree branches. On March 11, 1983, Gerald Stano pled guilty to the murders of Bickrest and Muldoon, some seven months after confessing to the murders of the other aforementioned females. Three months later, on June 13th, Stano was sentenced to death after waiving the right to a trial. In determining the sentence, the court took into account Stano's childhood, the confession and guilty plea, and the fact that he already had six separate counts of first-degree murder to his name. In another three months, Stano was formally convicted of murdering Kathy Lee Scharf and sentenced to the death penalty. Two death warrants were signed within 10 years, with the second appeal denied, which somehow resulted in a stay of execution. Speaking of which, Gerald Stano was finally sent to the electric chair after a third and final appeal was denied in March 1997. For his last meal, Stano requested the following. Delmonico steak, a baked potato with sour cream and bacon bits, a side salad with blue cheese dressing, lima beans, a half gallon of mint chocolate chip ice cream, and two liters of Pepsi Cola. En route to the chair, he maintained his innocence in the murders and laid blame on the feet of Paul Crow, the lead investigator. As Stano put it, I am innocent. I am frightened. I was threatened and I was held month after month without any real legal representation. I confessed to crimes I did not commit, end quote. Nothing could have been further from the truth. On March 23, 1998, Gerald Stano was executed at the Florida State Prison, thus ending a murderous career against various women. A violent and sexist Florida man, for sure. Before we wrap up this episode, I want to give you a little update on one of the key figures in the Nexium scandal, which we covered in an epic five-part series to end the first season of this podcast. Nancy Saltzman was scheduled to have her sentencing on August 2nd. However, this coming Wednesday, September 8th, will be the sentencing date. We'll keep you posted on that. And thus ends yet another episode of CR Crime, the only podcast that tells tales of true crime as they happen in New York's capital region. I've been your host, Jason Bullitt. Thanks for listening. Be safe out there, and I'll talk to you again real soon. An argument swiftly ensued, and it's... While Barbara Bauer and an identif...